Sometimes we need a little inspiration, and Real Things Living podcast does just that. Real Things Living has a focus on resilience and connection with others. Those connections lead to ideas, to solutions, and to better overall health. This podcast is brought to you by Gemini Media. Gemini Media delivers the best solutions for business communications through collaborative relationships. Hey y'all, it's Bridget Cutshaw. Thank you for listening to Real Things Living. Today, I'm going to share with you the interview I had with Donna Sebo. Donna Sebo interviewed me about my most recent book, Expecting the Good, Inspiration from a Badass with a Big Heart. Thank you so much, Donna, for giving me permission to do this. Hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to the Donna Sebo Show. Donna is an international mental practitioner, psychic, award-winning author, counselor, speaker, teacher, and radio television talk show personality. She brings to the airwaves talented people from around the world who share their insights and experiences with you, the listening audience. Now, let's join Donna. Hello, and wherever you are on this magnificent planet of ours, I hope you are just doing beautifully and savoring and appreciating all the blessings that you have around you. This is Donna Sebo. We're going to be talking about a man that has been... Well, you might say immortalized by a woman that has just a great deal of not just love for him, but respect and admiration for a man that for her really epitomized the best of the best. We are going to be talking with Bridget Kutschow, and she's in Georgia. This tall, good-looking man is someone that had such an influence on her life, her attitudes. She titled this book, Expecting the Good. Now, you're going to love the secondary title, Inspiration from a Badass with a Big Heart. Okay, Bridget. How Hi, in the, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderfully, my dear. What, you know, this, the secondary title there, I mean, just was something else. And I looked at that, and I looked at the photo of this man, that is on the cover, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be an interesting, interesting read. (laughs) And you said that this man, his name was Jean-Luc, he had the spirit of the easy rider who lived for adventure. And when I look at the photo that's on the back of the book, he looks like he's seven to eight feet tall, and here are five kids hanging around him, and they look like they were munchkins, but, I mean, they really look like munchkins next to him. Yeah, they were young. The the kids, when they got a little older, my son, they were calling him badass because Grandpa was, you know, um, special forces and, you know, trained as a ranger. He did a lot of stuff for the military and for the Department of Defense, but he didn't really tell us anything until after he passed away. That's how I had to share all these stories. All right. Keith M. Huber, Lieutenant General of the U.S. Army, retired. He did the foreword in your book. How is it that he knew Jean-Luc Nash? 
He was one of the, I believe he came, yeah, he came, he's one of the guys that came to the funeral. He was a West Point classmate, but they didn't really hang around each other in different um, uh, divisions there. But he, John Luke helped Keith pass his scuba diving um, training for part of Special Forces, so he credits John Luke for helping. And I wasn't sure if Keith would write the forward, but I did. I asked him, and he said yes. And so they became, you know, stayed friends for many, many years, obviously. And Keith stayed in the military role, and he retired at the age of 60, which is amazing for a Green Beret working until he was 60. But, um, but John Luke retired much earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the comments that Kevin Huber made is making a decision to do the right thing when it's physically dangerous is difficult. Doing the right thing, even if you might get fired because someone else is not as honorable as you are, is difficult. Be a good person and do the right thing. Know how precious and uncertain life is. He was really giving that as part of a testimonial for Jean-Luc. Correct. And this is quite a statement for anyone to make about another human being that that human being is going to do the right thing regardless of what the popular sentiments might be or what the political correctness might be. He did things because it was the right thing to do. Right, and he it's, he was a great role model for us all. And because he did do the right thing, he, he did what he said he was going to do or if it was, you know... Um, not right to let you know. Now, he was a West Pointer, correct? Correct. And when you were doing your research on him, because you said he never talked about his military service. A lot of men and women in the service typically won't, unless they're with their comrades in arms. Then that's a whole different scenario. But so many of them... Just say, no, a civilian wouldn't understand, and they're not far wrong in that, because most civilians have really no idea what the people that serve in the military, in active duty, what they go through. They really don't have an insight into that. When you started putting your material together, because obviously you wanted to honor and respect a man that not only had served his country, but also his family and his community. And that's what really grabbed me, because you wanted him to be remembered for multiple reasons. How long did it take you to do the research on this? It took me probably over 18 months, just trying to, because you're having to deal with a lot of different people. And their, and their schedules, and then you have to go back and edit it, and my mom gave me a lot of information. I learned, I never really truly learned how they met until I was doing the research on the paper, because I kind of mentioned in the book I was had an attitude when they first met, and I was 16 years old. And you got an attitude sometimes anyway, right? No but, kidding. Find me a teenager that doesn't have one. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, great. You know, my parents had just gotten divorced, so that was hard. I was raised in, you know, I was born in Fort Knox, uh, Kentucky. I was uh, raised around the military anyway. And then my mom, so this 
guy, John Luke, he he probably saw that, you know, I, I he didn't take it personally when I was probably being a, a little butthole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, he had a fairly big heart, and he just let me, you know, do what I needed to do. He always gave me really good advice and very patient, which is something you have to do when you're a leader, right? I guess that's, that's why he comes across as a really good leader as well. But he... It, like I said, it took me over 18 months putting it all together. There's probably more stories, but not everybody. I can't share some things on there, you know. I understand. I, it's just amazing what he was involved in. Well, he was in special forces, so he saw many aspects of life that most of us, again, in the civilian sector, will never see. will never be exposed to because the training that someone goes through in the special forces is extremely demanding and you must have tremendous physical mental physical emotional and i'd say even spiritual discipline because if you don't you're not going to make it uh he he specialized in the diving um, you know combat diving um he specialized in skiing and that and the picture I have on the front cover is him from the German Alps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just he just had a definitely a, a loved adventure, but very strong physically and mentally. You used a word, intrapreneur, uh-huh. and what is an intrapreneur? I don't think I'd come across that word before. What an intrapreneur is. It's somebody who innovates within a, a, an existing system. You're not like an entrepreneur. You're not creating something new. You're trying to fix something that exists to make it better for a you know for larger purpose. I guess they have a vision of um, how the world can be, and they don't spend energy. You know, they don't complain a lot. That's what it, you know, and they they try to fix things and make it better. And I view him as he made it a better relationship with my siblings and I, with our mother. That's how I viewed him. You know what I'm saying? He, my, um, my mother came over here. My real father brought her over from, you know, France when he was in the military. But I never really knew my dad, right? And that's the downside of being, I think that's probably why I had an attitude. <laughs> because I was a, you, as a child of a soldier, you never see your father. Mm-hmm. Some some women are in the military now um, in combat roles, but you don't see them. But he he maybe see that my mom um, she had it hard, you know, because um, he was my mom's third husband. But and that was hard on me and my brother and my sister. And but he made it all better that you know she had made some. I guess it's, I don't know exactly what happened to the. Um, the other two marriages because I was younger but it just didn't work out but she was really working her butt off to try to make it with you know being a single mom and you know uh, raising kids and he just made it the situation better and he made sure that he spent a lot of time with us and he absolutely adored all the grandkids and he we first had or my brother or my sister had the first grandchild and he was still in active duty when this was going on so he, he made sure he had time for all of us and I just he absolutely and and that's what Keith Huber wrote in the, the thing 
a soldier's hero is really their family, right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they really need us when they come back. Yes, they do. And I, I thought that was really nice that he pointed out. Okay, Jean-Luc was a man, because of being in the military, one of the things that he gave to your family, as young as you all were, he gave you structure. And that structure (laughs) is very, very valid. He was also very clear as far as what he expected from each of you. And this actually came from a lot of his training, and he made you all question something, and he asked you, what do you really have control over? And also he would say, take responsibility for who you choose to be. Now, I don't know of many parents that would even consider that, because those are very powerful words. Take responsibility for who you choose to to be. There's a lot of adults that could learn from that. Yes, exactly. That that was a big, huge impact on me. And I think I wrote in there, I graduated high school and I didn't <clears throat> know where to go for college, right? Um, I had to make the decision. And so he and my mom helped me make that decision. And that's why he, he told me a lot of these things about taking responsibility. And you really, it's how you... You act. It's nobody, you know, you have to take, um, demonstrate, you know, how you manage in your life. And no one's going to save you. Is that the right word? You are in control. Mm-hmm. And that, and, yeah, that just change, changes everything. That really right. does. Instead and, of looking at... I think at, that yeah. attitude helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I think getting rid of the blame game is really a good thing to do. Because you have to learn how to think. And how are you going to learn how to think if people say, well, this is black and this is white? And you go, yeah, but it looks purple to me. (laughs) So you really need to have that awareness that you do have a choice. And that was one of the things that he taught you. Now, you bring in a lot of information about West Point. Yeah, And very little is mentioned about West Point, unless every once in a while there's what I would call a a black dog that pops up, that cheats or something like this, and it hits the media for 24 hours and then disappears. But West Point has really some very strict protocols and very, very high standards. And you actually had a personal tour of West Point with Captain Zachary Wiley. Yes. How was that? What what did that feel like after you went through that? It was so awesome. Um, I I was introduced to, to Captain Wiley. One of my clients needed help with something, and and that's how we got connected. And I told him about my stepfather, and I was writing a book about him. And he offered to give me a tour and like come up any time. And so I worked it out with a meeting I had up in New York. And so it was just. It's so cool to get driven around and not have to be on a tour bus, you know. And he took me, and my my son came with me, too, my youngest son. And um, it was just unbelievable to to just get a different perspective from someone who actually was an instructor there and and graduated there. And when I did meet Zachary, when he first came up to me, um, he said, Are you Bridget? And I just ran up and I hugged him. I never met this man before, and I'm hugging this, you know, military guy. But he was 
He's like, okay. But, um, but he was just really nice. And just, he, I think he's just, in general, like a lot of those guys that go there, they're very, they want to help people, especially part of the, the long gray line, which is what West Point is about. They help each other out. Mm-hmm. Very true. And I think one of the best things he did was just to, to show us, so I think there's a cemetery there, and then he took us to the ice rink because my son was the ice hockey player. And that was really, really cool to see that. Now, and with Jean-Luc, he was, and he had to be this way to a degree, to be engaged in the special special forces. People don't join special forces when they want everything in a little box neat and tidy because you're definitely not going to have things in little boxes neat and tidy when you're in right. special forces. You're going to be in situations that 99.9% of the population will never find themselves in, and you right. have to be a problem solver. The West Point Honor Code was, or is, I should say, don't lie, steal, or tolerate those that do. However, Jean-Luc said, that doesn't mean you can't break the rules. If you happen to get caught, just don't lie about it. I can just imagine a teenager hearing that and going, say what? (laughs) Are you for real? Mm -hmm. Yes. He he was right. It's it's really funny, and, and that's what he, I heard him say that um, he got interviewed about six months before he passed away, and then he was saying that in the in the audio, so that was really cool to hear him actually say that and not secondhand from somebody else, and I did learn that he did break a rule, but he never got caught. Mm-hmm. The, the motorcycle, you're not supposed to have motorcycles at all. And he kept it off base. Now I never found out where he kept it off base, but um, but he did he did wait to get a car when he was supposed to as a senior. You're not supposed to get them before that. But it is kind of funny um, that he did break the rules sometimes. But if he got caught, he wouldn't lie about it, and that's really what it's about. He absolutely had a sense of adventure, as you talk about, expecting the good. The Combat Divers School, I don't think many people realize how difficult it is to get through that. It's sort of like the SEALs and other special force groups. And out of 38 men that started in the beginning... Only 11 graduated. That is that is a very low number. But by the time they finished with their training, they were able to do just about anything, yeah. including buddy breathing. And I had to smile to myself because there was a fellow by the name of Stan. J.L. and Stan got along very, very well, and neither one of them, according to what you write here, cared much about promotions or doing things by the book. (laughs) They both felt that rules were meant to be bent or broken, and they were real good buds. Yes. (laughs) So, this, what you do in your book, Expecting the Good, what I got from this, you were giving to the best of your capabilities an inside view of a young man, extraordinarily intelligent, someone that had a lot of drive, was a daredevil to a degree, but with conscientious objective observation that had been trained into him because of special forces. But he was willing to dare 
He was willing to try that that was not. You're giving an inside track into a male's attitude. And not many women, not many women ever have the opportunity to see, read, much less read, about the perspective of the male relative to doing certain things. And it's, it's, it's something that is there. The female might have, a few females might have it, but not the way that the men do. Right. When you were writing this and you were finding out about all of what I call the guys and the stuff that they did, <laughs> did you, I can remember a woman after reading her son's story about becoming a surgeon in the army, and when she found out, because he wrote his book, I think he was in his 40s when he wrote it, and he showed it to his mother after it was published, and she read it. She said, did you really do all of this stuff? And he said, <laughs> yes, mother, I did. She said, oh. She probably would have assassinated him if, he had, if she had found out what he was doing. And that is something that when I was reading that, I read that a few years back, and your book reminds me of that. But you're coming from a female perspective in getting the information, and you could have you could have given a whole different feel to this book, but you didn't. This is really the male perspective, and you have different people, different men that comment on many aspects. And I think it's a great way, especially if a gal's thinking of marrying someone in the military. Get this uh-huh. book, expecting the good. You'll find out what you're going to get into. <laughs> but was this hard for you to do? I mean, when you look at writing about someone who is as accomplished as Jean-Luc was, to be able to look at it with clear eyes without distortion, was that a, was that a, a tough thing? Did you try to make it soft around the edges? Right. I had It was kind of hard to do, and I had to tweak it a few times. And, um, you know, I had a couple people read it and help me edit it. It, it was hard, and I didn't want to be about me, you know. Um, it was supposed to be about him and what he accomplished, and I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that I could have added, but not everybody wanted to, like I said, share everything. And, and my mom did give me some information, but he, I don't know, I guess because I was a, a mili- I call myself a military brat, I kind of understand how the military thinks, you know, how these men think. And and I after I, I think I mentioned before we got on the call, my husband is very kind of in a similar in a way, which is funny. And my husband knew my stepdad before my husband and I were dating. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My stepfather was a 82nd Airborne Commander, and I was a college student up there, and um. I met my husband later at some party that I was invited to, but he didn't know that Captain Nash at the time was my stepdad, so that didn't stop him, right? So they get along really well as well. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing what, like you said, people don't know what military families have to do. I call it a military, I kind of, I don't think you know this, it was in the top 100 for several months on Amazon, or like number forty for uh, military families. 
mm-hmm. in the books. Mm-hmm. It made me really happy. One, uh, your Jean-Luc really was a man that I think was ahead of his time in many respects because, and I love this, the romance about him and your mother. I just thought <laughs> this is this is just they really were a, a good match because I I love these stories when. Um, Jean-Luc says to her after they have been spending time together at an amusement park, walked for over 12 hours, really enjoying each other, and he turns to her and he says, Michelle, I want you to know that I'll never get married, so don't expect me to marry you. It will never happen. And then she retorts back, you're the most conceited, arrogant man I've ever met. Who wants to marry you? And I do not want to get married. Who needs it? And then there's other stuff that goes on here. We won't go into the rest of it. But they end up getting married, of course, because they were very well matched, very well matched. But he really encouraged your mom to be her own person. He needed it really bad because, you know, my real father, like I said, he was a Vietnam veteran, and I don't know what happened. You know, I'm sure that he probably had PTSD, and he left the family. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. happened, my real father? And my mom's second husband, same kind of thing. It lasted about 10 years, and so she needed that. Um, She's very smart woman and she very um i shouldn't say feisty but very strong and i i think i get that from her we i'm actually was born on her birthday i told her it was the best present ever um <laughs> but the conversation like they had in the book with them they had that a lot t- type of stuff in front of us all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but they they fed off each other and they, it was just fantastic and um it was just like you said, he was ahead of his time. When I um, first moved in with them, I didn't put this in the book, but he sat down and talked to me about how to handle boys and how to handle men since I'm going to be going to college. And I was mortified that he was talking to me about that, you know, about sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe I should have put it in the book, but I was mortified that he was talking. But he was looking out for me, making, you know, he said, you're beautiful young woman and these these guys are going to try to take advantage of you you know so he knew how to talk to everybody in every situation well that's one of the reasons he was a leader too because this was something he had to learn how to do if he wasn't an effective communicator he could not be a leader he would make statements to individuals leave this world a better place than when you entered it and i think those are very, very powerful words, and it sets a standard. You also go into some of the special operations that he was in with the military, giving some inside information about what it was like for the men that served. But there was something that moved me very deeply. There is a man by the name of Harry, and he yes, Harry, yes. he wrote on his blog, and I'm just giving a little touch of what he said. It had to do with Granada on October 25th, 1983. What transpired on that bloody battleground was more than lives, my own included, being saved. Was more than lives, my own being included, saved. One cannot truly understand the depths of true brotherhood until one has shared the absolute intensities and desperations and deprivations of warfare. Jean-Luc Nash did more than make it possible for me to have a chance at surviving that day. He gave me countless opportunities. 
I have found that in my conversations with those that have served, the brotherhood, the sisterhood of what is developed is sometimes even stronger than your actual family. And that is because you're out on the battlefield. Your lives are totally dependent on those that you are fighting that battle with. You have done a very special job regarding your stepdad. And I think that his story, how he lived his life, the various things that he was engaged in, and... Jean-Luc and President Carter, uh, he was the, well, part of the safety group for the president. Yeah, Department of Defense, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, shared something in here that I didn't know, that the Carter Center, that they actually were responsible for developing the specific medicine to help prevent and cure the guinea worm disease, which is a parasitic infection from drinking stagnant water and prevalent in the country they were in. The stories that are here are very, very profound, and they're real, and I think that you have expressed them in a way and manner that not only gives an inside view into those that serve, but also the fact that you're honoring a man who deeply affected your life, your entire family's life, And when he passed, he did leave the world a better place than when he entered it. And I think you have done a wonderful, wonderful job expecting the good inspiration from a badass with a big heart. Yes, Bridget Kotschel, this book is very, very, very good read. And I think that people can find out more, if I got the information from you correctly, by going to expectingthegood.com, expectingthegood.com, and they'll find out more about other things that you have up on the site. It's been a delight having you as a guest for the program. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Donna. It has been my pleasure. Check out expectingthegood.com. Bridget Cutshell, and her last name is spelled C-U-T-S-H-A-L-L. This is Donna Sebo, and we are going to be taking a break. And by the way, that phone line is open 253-582-5597 if you'd like to give me a chat. That's right. The next half hour, those phone lines are open. You're listening to The Donna Sebo Show. If you'd like to have an opportunity to be featured on the 